Hello ladies and gentlemen and welcome to episode 2 of the Army Nerd. Today we're going to be talking about Warhammer 40,000 and running narrative campaigns, specifically with the Crusade system that came out in uh, 9th edition. So first we'll start off with why, why play narrative? Um, you know, a lot of people come into the hobby, they're competitive, they want to play to win. And narrative is one of those uh, types of play that might not appeal to everybody. I, I used to be like that. But when you, there's a couple of benefits when you do narrative play. One, it feels more like an army uh, when you're playing with a narrative force, right? You're not going to get those parking lots of vehicles uh, with a captain babysitting them to give them reroll ones, which, well, thankfully not anymore because of the core changes, but that used to be a big thing or an army of all flyers or w whatever the case might be. And, and you're not as penalized for taking, you know, not optimized lists. Everyone kind of understands that you're there to tell a story, to get immersed into the setting. And so the suboptimal lists perform better and, it, and it's just, it can be more fun, right? Second, it provides more of immersive experience when you actually have like buy-in into your characters and, and, the, and the soldiers that you got out there on the field. It really just feels more, you're more connected to them, right? When that sergeant, you know, kills a demon prince with his last attack, you know, when you got, when that guy's got a name and you've been following his progress throughout an entire story, it's a, it's a little more meaningful than if, you know, it was just a random game and it just happened, it happened, you know? And finally, I think it provides some opportunities for fun in, in some unexpected ways, you know? We've all been, if you've, if you've played a couple of games, 40k, we've all been in a position where, you know, you're just getting crushed. And it can be pretty, uh, it can, it can be a pretty sad time. But with uh, Crusade, some of the agendas um, can make it so that even if you're losing, you're, you can feel like you're winning. And I'll give a, a perfect example. I had a game the other day, and I took the uh, Space Marine specific agenda. I think it's No No Fear. And every time my Space Marine unit passes a morale test, uh, they gain two experience points. So I was actually hoping to lose unit. I was like, yeah, I hope this vehicle explosion kills one or two Marines off and then they're going to pass their morale test and I'm going to get to experience, right? So it gives the game its longevity and it's, you can see beyond just that game that you're playing right now and have fun in the experience that are going to come later on. So there's, there's a lot of reasons to play narrative, right? Then there's like narrative game versus a narrative campaign. Um, I think a narrative game, you know, it could be fun. It, it could re re whether you're recreating a battle or you're telling a specific story, or whatever the case might be, it can it can be a lot of fun. Uh, I'm more interested in narrative campaigns. I want to see the story progress and go along as the, as you know my force matures, as we can can you get different games on and you know crazy things in game happen and and then that story can continue to, to go forward. Um, and that's really, I think, where the difference is, you know, where if you're doing like just an, a one narrative game, it's like a one shot, uh, whereas the campaign, it, it's more immersive, it's more going along with the story. And I'll say Crusade is really good for this. Um, if you've ever tried to run a narrative campaign, you know, it can be very difficult, um, whether you're trying to do the barest, easiest type of campaign, or if you're trying to do something crazy, like a map campaign with all kinds of reward systems and things like that, it, it can be difficult. And Crusade really gives you a balance of putting the onus of responsibility on the players. Well, and while you can, the, the experience can be enhanced by having a, either a game master, game master or a, you know, a campaign organizer, you really don't need it. Um, 
and we'll and I'll talk about that at the end. I'll, I'll share my experience uh, organizing some crusade games and and narrative campaigns that I've run. Um, but let's let's get straight into ninth edition crusade, right? So first thing you want to do, um, crusade came out when ninth edition hit, um, and it was just a new new way to play narrative. Before this, I think narrative play wasn't super defined. You know, it was it had its rules, but really I I enjoy that. Now it's kind of its own standalone thing and it has like very specific rules and it's a lot of fun. So first thing is you choose a crusade faction and all the units in your crusade force need to have the same crusade keyword or crusade faction keyword. And the uh, the factions right now are Imperium, Chaos, Eldari, Tyranids, Orcs, Necrons, and Tau Empire. Now that's not the same. I mean, it's, it's, um, it's narrative, right? So it's not to say you can't do whatever you want. Like I'll personally, in my crusade campaign, I have a Space Marine force and a Harlequin's force, and they join together to fight, you know, chaos. Now, obviously, they don't have the same, you know, faction keywords or whatever, but, you know, nobody cares. As long as your gaming group is good with it, you can really do whatever you want. And I've even modeled some of the Eldari uh, symbol, sim symbols and iconography onto the Space Marine vehicles so they can, like, I do near-far recognition and they don't accidentally kill their, their allies. So that's the first thing you do. Next, you're going to have to go into create your order of battle. Your order of battle is really the all of the lists of units, the pool of units that you have to play your game with. And it's it's not what you're going to take every single game, but it's what you have kind of like on the shelf. And then you pick and match out of that for each game. And there's a couple of rules, right? So for order of battle, at the beginning of your Crusade campaign, it can't be above 50 power level. Crusade uses power level at... A lot of people aren't a fan of power level. I used I used to not be a fan of it until I started really getting a couple games in, and the it can be abused, but overall it works pretty well. And it's very easy also to just supplement. You know, five power level is a hundred points, so you can go back and forth. Nothing stopping you from playing points or power level. It's it's really up to you. Uh, once you add units to your battle order of battle, they cannot be changed. So. That includes their weapon loadouts, their, you know, the size of the unit. All of, all of those things require what's called requisition points, and we'll get into that later. But you use requisition points to kind of change what's in your army. And this, well, it sounds limiting, but it gives you a challenge, right? And it enforces you to play some things where you're not just changing from game to game based on what your opponent's bringing or, or whatever it might, whatever the case might be, right? Like you kind of... You got what you got, and you're going to have to work for either increasing the size of your squads, changing out the loadouts. You know, you have to pay points to get that new Thunder Hammer on your sergeant or whatever the case might be. And all of this gets recorded on, there's an actual paper order of battle document in the uh, core rulebook. I believe it's on page 328, and then the individual unit crusade cards are on 329. Uh, and this is just a template. It, it's decent. Um, I have modified and made my own Order of Battle and Crusade templates. Just something that I found it worked better from game to game and, and helped to keep track of, you know, the units, the force, and all of that. And I'll make those available at the end. I'm going to post um, the rules from the campaign that I ran uh, and the modifications. We'll talk about that as well as all the documents, supporting documentation, all that. And I'll post it to the Google Drive, and there'll be a link in the description below, so you guys can check all that stuff out if you're interested in just, you know, my variation of how we did this. Okay, so you got your order of battle built out, and then 
each of your units is going to have what's called a crusade card and the crusade card is going to capture a lot of the basic information that you're going to need to know about your unit for example it's going to have the unit name their battlefield role their power level their experience and a couple of things that you're going to want to keep track of is uh, kill tallies mark for greatness tallies and, and we'll discuss those things further on and what's really important is battle honors and battle scars um, there's a template, like I said, in, in the core rulebook. The one that I use, you know, I'm just going to pull that up real quick. The one that I have, I got, you know, the name, how many battles they've been in, power rating, and points cost, because sometimes I want to go back and forth between the two. It gives you their rank, so you, you can track as they level up uh, their experience points, how many crusade points they're worth. That's important for later on. And then battle honors, battle scars, and I also I put two spots for warlord traits and relics just to keep those separated in case it's a character. Um, and then on the bottom I have combat tallies and agenda tallies because you're going to have these agendas throughout the game. So they're kind of like secondary objectives and sometimes you got to track them by, by the unit. And so it's helpful to have a place to keep that uh, noted down. And then at the bottom for the experience calculation, so you get you get one experience for each battle that the unit has been in, I mean, whether they survive or, or die, it doesn't matter. Uh, then you get th one experience for every three units killed collectively. So each time the unit uh, kills a unit, then you would give them a, a tally on the deal. It's called Dealers of Death. And then for every three on a tally on that, you'd get another experience. And so that's why you want to keep track of your tallies. And then at the end of each battle, you can mark a unit for greatness. And this just means like your MVP of the game. There's no restriction on who you choose. Uh, I typically try to pick someone who thematically did something important in that battle. You know, and if, no, if nobody stands out, then you probably pick somebody who's close to leveling up just to get them over the edge. But each mark for greatness gets you three experience points. And then uh, there's a place for you get experience through agendas and some missions, I think, will also give you extra experience. That's pretty much it for the combat or the uh, crusade cards for the units. All right, moving on. Then we're we're gonna move into requisition. And so once you've created your order of battle, um, you get you also get five starting requisition points. And requisitions are important. Uh, there's actually a couple of re restrictions that are kind of important to know about. So first. You can't use any upgrades or stratagems that would upgrade units unless you buy a requisition for it, right? So any of those pre-game stratagems that would, you know, give a perfect example, given characters extra warlord traits, given characters extra relics, you can't use those unless you have used the requisition and, and purchased it through that. So it's already recorded in your order of battle. So you can't show up to a game and then and then purchase choose to purchase it beforehand or and then later on choose not to right the, the whole point is to keep consistency in the, in the army um and this also means that your warlord of your faction does not automatically get a free warlord trait and a free relic so you actually have to purchase those as well okay so let's go into the actual requisitions themselves the actual things that you can spend those requisition points to purchase. So the first one is increase supply limit, one requisition point. Purchase this requisition at any time, increase your Crusade Force supply limit by five power. So it's just a way to, obviously you're starting at 50 power level, that's about a thousand points. So to get to a full 2000 point game, you're gonna have to increase the supply limit of your, of your Crusade Force. 
And that's just gonna, you're going to get requisition points through games, through certain agendas, through certain, you know, winning scenarios. Uh, next requisition point is, or next requisition is fresh recruits. Purchase this requisition at any time. Select one unit from your order of battle that has a crusade card. You cannot choose a unit that has achieved a battle hardened or heroic or legendary rank. Um, so as your units level up, they get new ranks. Um, and so this is, can only be used on somebody who is at most blooded, which is the, the first level. But add any number of additional models to this unit and increase its power rating accordingly. So obviously this is, if you got like a five man intercessor squad and you want to bump it up to a 10 man, this is how you would do that. Next, uh, rearm and resupply. This one is basically allowing you to change the uh, the war gear, right? So if you got a uh, intercessor sergeant with a chainsword, and you've been playing a bunch of games in your crusade campaign, you're like, hey, you know what? I'd really rather have him have a thunder hammer or a power fist, or you want to change out the squad's loadout from, um, you know, regular bolt rifles to stalker bolt rifles or um, the assault variant. Um, you would use this requisition. The next one is repair and recuperate. This is an important one. This is one that gets used all the time. Uh, purchase this requisition either before or after a battle. Select one crusade card from your order of battle that has one or more battle scars, and we'll talk more about battle scars. Uh, but essentially, battle scars are negative effects that affect that kind of follow your unit after they've been wounded or destroyed in battle. Uh, so select one of the unit's battle scars and remove it from the crusade card. So this is essentially healing either um, a really negative battle scar that you don't want. On, on a unit or a vehicle or whatever the case might be. Uh, next is Psychic Meditations for one requisition point. This just lets you change the uh, psychic powers that your psychers know. So, you know, like we said before, you add your unit to the, to the order of battle. It, it kind of stays as it is, and that includes the psychic powers that it knows. So here you go, one requisition point, you can change that out. Next one is Specialist Reinforcements. This requisition lets you upgrade a unit to um, by using a stratagem that's available in your book. Um, the old Space Marine Codex used to have, you know, for example, a veteran's intercessor stratagem would turn your veteran squad or intercessor squad into a veteran squad. I know with Harlequins, I've used this for pivotal roles, things like that. So any kind of stratagems that you might have that would give your, your unit kind of a, a buff, uh, this is something that can be used for that. The next one is Warlord Trait. Essentially, you spend a requisition point, you can give a character a warlord trait. Doesn't need to be your warlord. Um, pretty basic one. Next. You got relic. That's the next one. That's one. Same thing, right? You're just giving, your, giving a character a relic. And that's it. So really, these requisitions are how you build your force outside of games. You know, pre-game or, or in between games. You know, you can use the specialist reinforcements to great effect, giving out warlord traits with the warlord trait and the relic one, and then the rest are kind of just changing the the, uh, the force construction that you have and getting rid of battle scars. All right, moving on. Next, we got ranks and battle honors. So, as units level up and they they gain experience points, they're gonna progress through the the ranks. And the ranks are the first is battle ready, is basically just fresh new recruit. Uh, doesn't have any experience, so zero to five experience points, and it has zero battle honors. The next is blooded, and that's between six and 15 experience points, and they get one battle honor. Then you have battle hardened at 16 to 30 experience points, uh, heroic at 31 to 50, and then legendary is 51 plus. And so 
when you level up each each time, you gain access to one of these uh, battle honors. And there are four types of battle honors. So one is a battle trait, and those are just new skills and abilities. Uh, and we'll go we'll go to the table and look at each one individually. Then you have weapon enhancements, psychic fortitudes, and then crusade relics, which are just a rare powerful artifact that you can use and equip it onto a character. Um, and then of note is that the crusade points for each unit are going to increase uh, by one if they have a power rating of 10 or below, or by two if they have a power rating of 11 or more. Um, and this is just how the crusade system balances an experienced army with lots of, uh, you know, battle honors and, and uh, high level units against the brand new crusade army. And after playing quite a few games with it, I have to say it's decently decently well balanced so the way it works is before you start a crusade game you would tally up the crusade points of both forces and the person with the lower crusade total would get half the difference rounded up in command points right so let's say for example i have a, a very experienced crusade army they have 10 crusade points through various battle honors and crusade relics and various things they have this this level of crusade points. And my opponent has brand new uh, crusade force. He used some requisition points to give his warlord, you know, a warlord trait and a relic and gave the other character a relic. And now they have three crusade points in their whole army. So then the difference, you know, three, 10 minus three, seven, and they take half of that. So three and a half and they round it up. So my opponent would get four extra command points to start the game with, which can, can swing a game, right? So uh, it's it's a decent way to balance it out, and I found it, it works pretty well. Okay, so battle traits. There are four battle trait tables. Uh, one for characters, one for monsters, one for vehicles, and another for any other unit. Uh, so in the character, the first battle trait is swift and agile. Add one to this unit's move characteristic. In addition, add one to advance and charge rolls made for this unit. This is such a powerful battle trait, uh, especially on a fighty character, giving him plus one move. And then plus, on top of that, plus one advance and plus one charge. And then if you got a unit that can advance and charge, you're getting plus three inches to everything. Um, so it's really powerful, really really good for fighty armies. The second one is Heroic Constitution. Add one to the wounds characteristic of one character model in this unit. Yeah, it's it's good. It's not anything special, but it is, it's good. Uh, third one, Resilient. Roll 1d6 each time a character model in this unit would lose a wound on a six up. That wound is not lost. Yeah, hey, haven't I've had a feel no pain on uh, a company champion and it saved him. Um, so it's useful when it's useful. Uh, number four, deadly charge. Add one of the attack characteristic of character models in this unit in the fight phase. If this unit made a charge move, was charged or prone to heroic intervention this turn, and this stack. I mean, it doesn't say it doesn't stack, so it stacks with shock assault. And so if you get swift and agile and deadly charge on you know a, camp, a champ, company champion or a smash chaplain uh, you're getting a very reliable charging unit with an absurd number of attacks and it's it's really really powerful number five inspiring hero add one to the leadership characteristic of friendly units while they're within six inches of a character model with this from this unit in addition this unit can perform heroic interventions if after the enemy has made all its charge moves it is within six inches of enemy units and it can move up to six inches when doing so so, you know, plus one leadership, yeah, whatever, take it or leave it. But the six inch heroic intervention is a big deal, uh, especially with how 
important objectives are and if you can't if we know if you got a character standing on objective right if they want to get within range of holding that objective they're going to be within three inches they're within your heroic intervention but having six inch heroic intervention catches a lot of people off guard uh, and it can be really strong uh, numbers the sixth one is tactical experience while a character model from this unit is on the battlefield roll 1d6 each time you spend a command point to use a stratagem on a six you immediately regain one command point yeah not bad it, you know in crusade games a lot of times you'll get you'll have more command points uh, than in a regular game just because of the the way the crusade points uh, work out so you have a decent chance of getting some cp back and cp important um, just looking at the character tree uh, there's some obvious winners right i think for me swift and agile just takes it right it's it's so good um and for that reason one of the things that we chose to do in our crusade games was roll right you, you didn't get to choose or else everybody would have swift and agile characters running around um you had to roll on the table and that and we would film it and send it out to our group chat so that everybody could see and like either cheer or like or cry for you when you got a result that you obviously didn't want. And and we would make exceptions, you know, back when Death Guard still had the uh, five up feel no pain for discussing the resilient. Obviously, you don't want a Death Guard character getting the resilient. It, they don't stack, so we would just make that null and you would just re-roll results of three. So that was, that was a solution that worked for us. It made the game more interesting, more um, varied, and I, I'd recommend that. All right, so let's move on to the vehicles, vehicle chart. Um, vehicle units, one, enhanced engines. Add two inches to this unit's move characteristic. In addition, add one to advance and charge rolls made for this unit. Yeah, not bad. You know, extra two inches of move. Generally vehicles, right, you're, they're either shooty or they're transport. So getting that extra move to get it within range or, you know, get behind a piece of line, line of sight blocking terrain or whatever it is you need, it's not bad. Number two, elite crew, reroll hit rolls of one when resolving attacks made by vehicle models in this unit. Super good, especially now with the changes to core, not a lot of vehicles have the core keyword. And so getting those rerolls where they, they generally don't get them anymore, anywhere, uh, really big. So this is a super good one. Uh, number three, improved shielding, add one to saving throws made for vehicle models in this unit against attacks that have an armor penetration characteristic of zero or negative one. Invulnerable saving throws are unaffected. Yeah, you know, pretty much it's not bad. Armor Bane, number four. Reroll wound rolls of one when resolving attacks made by a vehicle model in this unit that target enemy vehicle or monster units. Yeah, it's it's a shittier reroll ones to wound. It's only against vehicle or monsters. It, it's situationally good. It's not the best. You'd still just take elite crew if you could, right? Number five, repair systems. Vehicle models in this unit regain one lost wound at the start of each of your command phases. It's pretty good. Getting uh, getting an extra wound can be clutch, especially if it pushes you into your next bracket. And number six, blessed hole. Roll a d6 each time a mortal wound is allocated to a vehicle model in this unit. On a five up, that mortal wound is ignored. Yeah, no, I really like this. This is a really good one. Uh, pretty much permanent armor of contempt. Uh, in the matches where this matters, it's going to matter a lot. So, you know, Grey Knights... Thousand Suns, any psychic heavy army that's just throwing out tons of mortal wounds, you know, you're saving yourself that command point of an uh, armor of contempt. So it's great. Uh, again, this is kind of a trend. You can see like clear winners and losers, right? Elite crew, obviously, we're rolling all ones to hit is great. 
Um, and that's why, again, we chose to roll dice and uh, and see what you got. It just made it, it just made it more interesting. All right, uh, monster units. Number one, unstoppable. Add two inches to this unit's move characteristic. In addition, add one to advance and charge rolls. Pretty much the same as the vehicle one. Number two, apex predator. Reroll hit rolls of one when resolving attacks made by monster models in this unit. So again, rerolling ones to hit. Very good. Uh, number three, thickened hide. Add one to saving throws made for monster models. Okay, so this is exactly the same as the vehicle table. Let me just make sure it's not. Okay, so here's a different one. Number four, frenzied. Uh, add one to attacks characteristic of monster models in this unit in the fight phase if this unit made a charge move, was charged, or performed a heroic intervention this turn. Good. It's super good. Um, depending on the type of monster. Uh, you got a demon prince uh, that needs some extra attacks, or some of the big, um, like a Demacaron, or some of the other Jernid monsters, or e even just uh, Carnifexes. You know, getting extra attacks on them, uh, super important. I think Carnifexes should be monsters. Yeah. All right, number five, regenerates monster monster models in this unit. Gain one lost wound at the start of each of your command phases. Since they have vehicle, can be good. Um, this would be good if you stacked it with the uh, Tyranid uh, custom high fleet adaptation where they would already gain one, like monster models gain one wound at the beginning of their turn. So now at the beginning of your turn, each monster model is getting two wounds back. That's, that, can be, that can be powerful. Um, obviously, you need to get this battle trade on them, but you know it could stack. It could be, could be good. Number six, terrifying. Roll two dice when making a morale test for an enemy unit within six inches of this unit and discard the lowest result. Yeah, I don't love it. Typically, if you have a big monster and it gets into combat with something, you want that thing to be dead already. It could be good if it helps, you know, get that last remaining intercessor or whatever to fail their morale test and run. Um, situationally good, I guess. Not not the best. Still, re really here, I like a lot. Um, add one to the attack characteristic frenzy. It's, that's, that's great. Even unstoppable, you know, extra movement is always, this is such a movement-based game now that whenever you can get extra movement, you, you take it. All right, any other unit. So this is going to be the final table for most of your, you know, baseline infantry squads or whatever. Basically anything that's not an infantry or not a character, vehicle, or monster, right? So number one, fleet of foot. Add one inch to the unit's move characteristic. In addition, add one to advance and charge rolls made for this unit. Yeah, that's good. Number two, veteran warriors. Reroll hit rolls of one when resolving attacks made by miles in this unit. Yeah, obviously this is the one you want, right? Rerolling ones to hit, having a captain aura across all your units that have this this battle trait gives you a lot of flexibility, right? You don't have to keep yourself in these reroll bubbles when they just have it themselves. Uh, number three, grizzled. Roll d6 each time while on this unit would lose a wound. On a six, that wound is not lost. Yeah, it's not bad. Six to feel no pain. Can't complain. Uh, number four, headhunters. Add one to hit rolls and wound rolls made for made when resolving attacks with this model in this unit that target enemy character units. This is really good. You're pretty much getting the Raven Guard Super Doctrine all the time. Um, yeah, it's too bad that they don't uh, they don't stack hit roll hit rolls and uh, wound roll modifiers don't stack anymore because if you had a Raven Guard unit, a sniper unit, you know, getting plus two to hit, plus two to wound, it could be a big deal. This is a really good one. Obviously, it's it's, it's only working against characters, uh, but it, against certain matchups, it's going to be very powerful. All right, number five, cool-headed. You can reroll failed morale tests taken for this unit. In addition, if a unit declares this unit as a target of their charge, this unit can fire Overwatch and will score hits on unmodified rolls of five instead of six when doing so. This is 
super good ability. Um, Rerolling failed morale test. There's no other way to do it. You know, Space Marines lost that. You can't use the command point reroll to do it. So just innately being able to reroll failed morale tests when it when it matters, it can matter a lot. And just being able to Overwatch on five up all the time, not spend a command point, it's great. It, it depending on the type of unit you get, this can be super scary. Um, yeah, I'm just thinking about uh, aggressors with the the bolter. The bolter gauntlets, you know, they're just putting out an insane amount of shots and hitting on fives and just always knowing that that's a threat there. Uh, really good. All right, number six, battle tested. This unit has the objective secured ability and can make attacks with ranged weapons while performing an action without that action failing. Combat attrition tests taken for this unit automatically passed while it is within range of an objective marker. Pretty good. Um, it's an objective-based game. The only problem is if you're uh, if you're playing a lot of the Crusade missions, they don't always have objectives. A lot of them do, but some of them don't. Um, and so this is kind of wasted if you're playing a mission that's doesn't have objectives on it, right? Uh, but overall, pretty good. Uh, really, I'm I'm most impressed by the any other unit table. I think it has the most options that are attractive. Uh, really, when you're looking at like the vehicle unit table, there's a lot of things in there that yeah, I don't want or I don't really care so much about. Um, but the uh, the any other unit table, I think, is, is a real winner here. It's giving you a lot of choices. And feel free to modify these tables, too. Um, we discussed it in my gaming group. We ended up keeping the battle traits tables, but we modified the battle scar tra tables. And we'll get into that when we get there. But, you know, if, you're, if your group's cool with it, you know, and you want to either standardize it so that they're all the same, like, well, one table... Or you want to increase it, you know? Hey, do do what you want. It's your game. Okay, next we have uh, next battle honor is weapon enhancements. Uh, weapon enhancements can be a little confusing, but we're gonna we're gonna work through. So you essentially have two tables. You have a ranged weapon table and a melee weapon table. And if you select a unit that's titanic, so you know Imperial Knights, Chaos Knights then you roll 1d3 and consult the table. So you can only get the first three options on the table, whether it's you know ranged or melee. If it's a unit, if the unit is a character, a vehicle, or a monster, and is not titanic, you roll 1d6. So essentially you're gonna pick one of their weapons and get um, one characteristic from one of these tables, right? If it's any other unit, right? You, you pick a unit, you pick one model, and if there's a unit champion like the sergeant or whatever it might be, it has to be that model. You then pick one of its weapons and you roll a d6 and a d3 and you get both of those traits. Um, if the weapon has two profiles, like a combi bolter, sorry, like a combi flamer, then both those profiles get the benefits. And if it if the weapon has a melee and a ranged profile, you can only choose melee weapon enhancements, but the melee and the shooting get both of those traits. It sounds a little confusing. So let's do a Flamestorm Aggressor Sergeant, right? Um, his Flamestorm Gauntlets have a melee and a shooting profile. So if you choose his gauntlet, you can only do a melee weapon enhancement, but the melee weapon enhancements will apply to the ranged attack from his gauntlets as well. Um, so let's go over the table. He'll start with the ranged weapons. 
Uh, number one, auto loader. When resolving an attack with this weapon, each unmodified hit roll of six scores one additional hit on the target. Exploding sixes. It's great. Uh, number two, armor piercing. Improve the weapon's armor penetration characteristic by one. So yeah, it's not bad. Uh, getting extra AP. It, it depends on the army and what weapon you're shooting with, right? Uh, getting a melta from AP4 to AP5, probably not the biggest deal in the world. Uh, intercessor bolt rifles going AP1 to AP2. Um, AP3 in the tactical doctrine, that can be pretty good. Uh, number three, high caliber. Add one to the weapon's strength characteristic. This is really good. Um, yeah, plus one strength on your weapon. A lot of times it's going to equate to plus one to wound, essentially. Uh, especially, you know, I'm thinking, you know, bolt, bolt rifles against uh, Death Guard. Now you're going from strength four to five, wounding on fours instead of wounding on fives. It's a big deal. The only negative thing, and I'll say it right now, is that this only goes on one unit or one model in the unit. Um, which can feel bad uh, with tactical marines I guess you could put it on the uh, the heavy well you can't even put it on the heavy weapon because it has to be on the sergeant that's right yeah it's tough it's not great so I'll tell you what we did in my game before and we'll go back to get into the tables but in, in my campaign what we decided was you could you could pick the way the rules are right you could pick one unit or one model in the unit and it had to be the sergeant and he can get both or two weapon enhancements on the one weapon. Or we just decided that if you wanted to just pick one of the enhancements, you could give it to the entire squad. And what that did was, you know, like the uh, fire warrior leader didn't have to shoot separate from the rest of the fire warriors in the squad. It just, it just made it easier to play through it instead of having all these separate roles because like, oh, well, the leader has plus one to hit or the leader has plus one AP. You know, it just, it would or it would have been more painful to do that. We just said, you know what? We're going to give it blanket to the entire unit. And as long as units didn't get more than one weapon enhancement, it, it, was, it really wasn't all that game breaking, right? Obviously, if you can give, you know, plus one to hit and plus one strength and exploding sixes on you know, a squad of, you know, eradicators or something, right? Uh, it could be, it could be busted. But the way we worked it out, you know, each unit really only got one weapon enhancement. Um, sometimes they'd get two, very rarely. Uh, it it kind of worked out for us. So I recommend it. I, I thought it was good. It was a good little change. It made, it sped up the gameplay. And it was cool to have a, a unit of fire warriors that could shoot on and hit on threes, right? Like Tau probably should be able to. But anyway, so let's go back to the range table. Enough of that tangent. Uh, number four, improved sights. When there's only attack with this weapon, add one to the hit roll. So plus one to hit, it's good. Um, especially for, you know, heavy weapons, right? Heavy weapons having to move and ignoring that you're counterbalancing those negatives to hit. Number five, accelerator. Increase the weapon's range characteristic by six inches. If the weapon has a minimum range characteristic, this remains unchanged. It can be really good on, on certain weapons. You know, I'm thinking 18-inch flamers uh, very can be very powerful. Number six, maxer worked. Add one to the weapon's damage characteristic. Yeah, this is great. Absolutely great. Um, and yeah, it's good. So those, those are the weapon enhancements uh, for ranged weapons. So now melee weapons. Uh, number one is heirloom. When resolving an attack with this weapon, each time modified, it rolls six, scores one additional hit. The same as autoloader. 
Number two, Razor Edge to improve the weapon's AP by one. Yep, same as Armor Piercing. Number three, Brutal, add one to the weapon's strength characteristics, same as High Caliber. Yep. Number four, Finally Balanced, you know, when resolving attack with his weapon, add one to the hit roll. All right, same as Improved Sight. So these are all exactly the same. All right, here's the difference. Shredder, number five. When resolving attack with this weapon, an unmodified wound roll of four is always successful, irrespective of the target's toughness characteristic. Could be good. Um, always wounding on fours with a thunder hammer. See, that's the thing. When, you, when you're putting this, it's a melee weapon enhancement. So you're putting it on the sergeant or the leader, and they probably have, you're probably putting it on them because they have a good weapon, right? So a good weapon's already going to have good strength. So, yeah, I'm not loving it. It's it's okay. Yeah, no, like a, a, a power fist is going to have eight strength. You're already wounding anything on at least a four. So, yeah, no. I thought it'd be cool. It, it could be cool on a power sword, I guess. Or some kind of similar profile weapon. You know, Harlequins. Yeah, some Harlequin weapons, you know. Pretty low. Harlequins rely a lot on those rerolls to wound. Um, so they're usually pretty low strength. So I could see that, you know, coming into play. But yeah, not, not the best. All right, number six, Fleshbane, add one to the weapon's damage characteristic. So the melee weapons is exactly the same as the ranged weapons, the only difference being uh, number five, where the ranged weapons get increased to range and the melee weapons get a always wounding on fours. So pretty good. Um, it seems powerful, but when you realize that, you know, especially if you roll on the tables, it, it makes it a lot more balanced because if you don't roll then everyone's just going to pick you know plus one to hit or plus one damage on uh, depending on the type of weapon they got and what unit they're putting it on so definitely rolling makes it a lot more interesting okay psychic fortitude so these are a battle honor that can only be given to psychers the it's a d3 table uh, so number one is psychic might Add one to the number of psychic powers this unit can attempt to manifest in your psychic phase. This is really good. You know, typically these psychers are going to know more powers than they can cast. And it's always a choice on, you know, where are you in the battle to which power you're going to choose to cast. So having the ability to cast another one is, is really good. All right, next, Adamantium Will. Add one to the number of psychic powers this unit can attempt to deny in your opponent's psychic phase. Yeah, plus one deny the witch. It's not as good as psychic might, but it's it's useful. You know, having an extra deny, especially in certain matchups. Um, number three, master of lore. Add one of the number of psychic powers this unit knows from one of the disciplines available to them. Write down this new power on the unit's crusade card. Yeah, overall, all three of them are good. Um, I would say psychic might is probably the strongest, but really, uh, you know, followed by master of lore and then adamantium will coming at the end. Uh, but they're all really good. They're all increasing the flexibility that you have on, on the battlefield with these units and, and just upping your efficiency. So, All right, next we're on to Crusade Relics. Uh, these are actually super interesting. So Crusade Relics can only be given to character models. A character model can have any number of Crusade Relics, but the same Crusade Relic cannot be included in your order of battle more than once. Okay, And character model can have Crusade Relics even if they have other relics, like from your codex. Right, that's good. Um, the the relics are broken up into different categories of relics, and only certain level characters can take them. So we'll start with the, the most basic category is Artificer Relics. Any character model can be given an Artificer Relic. 
The first one is Artificer Weapon. Select one weapon that the model is equipped with, excluding relics. Right, so you can't Artificer a relic that you already have. Each unmodified hit roll of 6 mid for an attack with that weapon inflicts one mortal wound on the target in addition to the normal damage. Note that this is not cumulative with any other mortal wounds inflicted by the weapon. Yeah, mortal wounds on sixes, it depends on how many attacks you're getting with that character, if it's really going to be worth it. I, th I think there's some other ones that I'd rather have, but it's not bad. Uh, next, Master Crafted Armor. This model's save characteristic is improved by one. In addition, roll 1d6. Each time this character suffers a mortal wound, on a six, that mortal wound is ignored. This is really good. So having a six of fill the pain and a, a plus one to your armor save, especially if you have like a Terminator character that's already rocking a two up save. Now you've got a one up save. You know, characters with storm shields, you know, you're getting plus two to your save. And then you and then on top of that you can put them in cover and you get plus three to your save. Um, really good. Uh, I really like this one. Next is Laurels of Victory. If this model is included in your army, list for a battle, you receive two bonus command points to use in that battle. However, if this model is destroyed during the battle, you immediately lose two command points. This can be really strong depending on which character gets it. Um, you know, you don't want your, your smash chaplain running out there going to have this and then lose you two command points. Unless by the time he dies, you already have zero command points and then you don't really care. Um, but if you have it on a good support character that's going to be in the back of the back of the battle, you know, pretty much guaranteed to survive, you know, it could be really strong. All right, next, conversion field. Infantry only. This model has a four up and vulnerable save. In addition, each time you roll an unmodified six when making a saving throw for this model, the closest enemy unit within one inch suffers one mortal wound. Eh, you know, most of your infantry characters are already going to have an invulnerable save. Well, I guess that's not true. If you're looking at lieutenants, librarians, okay, so I, I don't know. The, the models that you do want to have in close, so they would even benefit from the mortal wound part of this, uh, would already have an invulnerable save. So it's not it's not bad. It's four of invuln. Uh, situational. Next, artisan bionics, infantry, cavalry, or biker only. Add one to the model's strength characteristic. In addition, roll one d6 each time this model would lose a wound. On a 5-up, that wound is not lost. Wow. 5-up, feel no pain. We're getting a disgustingly resilient back for your infantry, cavalry, and bikers. It's good. It's good. On top of the plus one, plus one strength. Um, yeah, it's not bad. Next, friends on injector. Infantry, cavalry, biker, or monster only. You can reroll advance and charge rolls made for this model's unit. In addition, add one to this model's attack characteristic during any turn in which it's made a charge move was charged or performed a heroic intervention. This is one of the best ones. Absolutely, hands down, one of the best ones. So re-rolling, advance, and charge rolls, right? And then you, what you do is you pair this one with uh, Fleet of Foot or Swift and Agile, sorry. Swift and Agile, so now you're getting plus one to your advance, plus one to your charge, and you're able to re-roll them. And if you've got an ability that lets you advance and charge, this is just, this really stacks up. And you're getting the extra attack, right? Uh, so. You, you know, one of the one of the things that I was running was a uh, Raven Guard successor captain um, with the Warlord trait that allowed units to advance and charge. Right, you put Swift and Agile on, and now he's getting plus one to move, plus one to advance, plus one to charge. So it's just three inches to his range already increased. Now he can re-roll those advances so that the average is higher, and you can re-roll the charge. So you're saving your command points. It's just it's great. 
All right, next category of relics is the antiquity relics. And this is for heroic or legendary characters, right? Those are those upper, more leveled up characters that can take these. Um, the thing with these though is that you have to increase the crusade points by two because you would increase the crusade points of your of your unit by one for taking the battle honor of getting a relic but if you take an antiquity relic you have to increase it by an additional one so this, this will cost you two crusade points or net you two crusade points um which in some matchups i don't know i found when you have a ton of crusade points if if the things that you're invested in aren't really paying off you're really just giving your opponent a bunch of free command points uh, and it can be tough so let's go through them the first one is xenotech digital lasers uh it's a weapon it's xenotech digital lasers 12 inch range pistol one if this weapon hits the target suffers d3 mortal wounds okay so just a 12 inch targeted smite it's not bad on a uh, three up or a two up depending on what character you put this on it could be good. Um, it's not bad. The next one is the Blackstone Shard Amulet. This model's unit can never be targeted or affected by psychic powers in any way, nor can it attempt to manifest any psychic powers or perform any psychic actions. This can be devastating if you put it on the right character and then they're just not affected by any of, of your opponent's abilities. Um, I like it. Um, the only bad thing is it, it's, it's a double-edged sword, right? So you, you're not getting hit by any of the mortal wounds, but... You also can't buff up that character and depending on which you know faction you're playing you know some psychic powers can be critical um but yeah it's not bad architect nanomed infantry only this the first time this model is destroyed keep it to one side at the end of the current phase roll with d6 on a two up set this model back up again as close as possible to its previous position with d3 moves remaining yeah this is outstanding this is probably the best one you know just automatically bringing your character back on a two up with d3 wounds remaining can be game changing um, especially because it's at the end of the phase so that it's not giving your opponent another chance like so let's say it happens in the fight phase right your opponent doesn't get a chance to kill him once he stands back up right you can it's gonna be at the end of the phase and then you're gonna have your turn and well, let me see it has no restriction on you can put them back up in engagement range as close as possible to its previous position. So you'd almost have to put him back in engagement range. That's not as good um, because then, you know, assuming that it was your opponent's charge phase when he killed him, now he's going to be in engagement. You're already in close combat on your turn. You'll have to have him fall back or, you know, your opponent will probably get to strike first. Yeah, it depends. But it's still, it's still not bad. Uh, infantry only... Dark, sorry, next one, Dark Age Displacer Belt. Infantry only, instead of making a normal move or falling back in your movement phase, this model's unit can be removed from the battlefield and then set back up on the battlefield anywhere that is more than nine inches away from any enemy models. So just instant teleporting around the battlefield. All right, yeah, move over, uh, Archeo Nanomed, Archeotech Nanomed, Dark Age Displacer Belt. This is, this is the winner right here. Just being able to teleport across the battlefield super important especially in, a, in how much the movement phase matters in these games it, this is this is it by itself game winning right just going over and catching a, a key objective 
or putting out a, a, a buff in a certain area that you needed to, or threatening a backfield or backfield uh, asset. You know, if you got this and then you got the a plus the charge, or uh, you you know you're getting reliable charges. So next is legendary relics. Uh, and the legendary character model, so that's the final level, right? They have 51 plus experience points. So any legendary character model can be given a legendary relic. In addition, in order to give a model a legendary relic, you must also pay one requisition point. If you do not have enough requisition points, you cannot give that model a legendary relic. Add one and an additional two to the unit to save points. So it's costing you two requisition points, right? So the one to give them the relic and then an additional one for giving them a legendary relic. And then it's costing you three crusade points. So these should be top tier. Uh, I'll be honest, I've never had a character level up to 51 and be able to get one of these relics. Um, so I've never really played with them in game. So let's, let's see what they can do. Number one, Vortex Grenade. This model gains the following weapon. Vortex Grenade, six inches, grenade one. One use only. If this weapon hits, the target suffers 3d3 mortal wounds and you roll 1d6 for every other unit within six inches of the target unit. Roll before any destroyed models are removed. On a four up, the unit being rolled for suffers d3 mortal wounds as well. It's not bad, it's reliable mortal wounds, I guess. It's just, you know, here's the problems with it, right? It, you got six inch range, so you gotta be super close. And you have to roll a d6 for every other unit within six inches of the target unit. That includes you. You know, it doesn't say enemy units. It says every other unit within six inches of the target unit. So by definition, you had to be within six inches to use this. Now you're also on a four up suffering d3 mortal wounds as along with anything else. Like this, you're putting this on a character. So unless this character is just sua sponte doing whatever they want, they're probably with some support and now you're just it's it's a lot of mortal it, it could be devastating in the right spot but it just seems like such a kamikaze move not for a legendary relic not what i think would be good all right let's see the next one null field disruptor invulnerable saves cannot be made against attacks made by made with this model's melee weapons all right this is a good one yeah this is good it's just you're just turning off invulns that's great yeah, see, this is what I was expecting from Legendary Relic, right? Just turning off of invulns, it's awesome. All right, that takes us out of the battle honors. Um, the next thing we're going to talk about is out-of-action tests. So every time a unit is destroyed at the end of a battle, uh, you have to make an out-of-action test. So basically, you, you like line up your units, the ones that were destroyed, and you roll one dice for each one. On a roll of a one, the test has failed, and the unit suffers one. Either uh, they can gain one battle scar, or you can give you can choose to give them a devastating blow, which is lose d6 experience points, and they can't get any experience from the battle. Uh, yeah. So I'll tell you in my games what we did is we got rid of devastating blow just altogether, and we just went straight with battle scars. You know, battle scars are more interesting. It's Losing experience just feels bad. Um, you, you put all this time and effort and you want to level up your guys. You want to see them grow and expand. And so just losing experience, just it, it just didn't, it wasn't attractive to us. So we pretty much just went straight with the battle scars. 
And then you go into the battle scar tables, very much like the uh, battle traits tables. You have one for each different type of unit, so we'll go straight into uh, character units. And it's it's worth noting that we modified this table because some of these battle scars are just so bad that you cannot the unit will not function, and and you just you're forced to get rid of the to spend the requisition to heal the battle scar. And that's it's just not what we wanted in our games. You you want them to have battle scars, and some of these are really good. And um and I'll po I'll point them out when we get to them. But some of them were like very, very fluffy, very narrative. You know, it, it built out the stories. Um, and some of them are just so bad that we had to to make some changes. And I'll so I'll read through the original lists, and then I'll I'll pull up my my version that we tweaked it, and I'll read the tweaks. Um, and that's also going to be available on the document. So if anybody wants to use that instead, you know, feel free and or feel free to you know make whatever ones you you want. You know, come up with what you want. All right. So the first one for character units. Uh, number one, lost leg. Subtract one from this unit's move characteristic. In addition, subtract one from advanced and charge rolls made for this unit. I actually had lost leg on a swift and agile character, so the, they pretty much just balanced each other out. Um. Yeah, it's not, it's not bad. It's fluffy, you know. I I think uh, maybe crippled leg would have been a better name for it. I don't know if you've lost your leg if you're really out there. I, I guess he would have a bionic leg. Um, maybe if you're a tyranid, you got tons of legs. You know, you got legs to spare. This makes more sense. But all right, next is a uh, blind in one eye. You must reroll hit rolls of six when resolving attacks made by character models in this unit. This is a great one. A big fan. I had this on a. He was my company champion, and he was a super killy character, and charging him in, even though he's hitting on twos, um, having the, uh, have to reroll your sixes, and the number of sixes I rerolled into ones, and then you can't reroll a reroll, so you're just kind of stuck there. Uh, it made it great. It made it where some things that he definitely should have killed survived, and it, it made for some funny, funny moments in our games, and I, I really appreciated it. Um, number three, Deep Scars. This unit cannot perform any actions or psychic actions, and it cannot make heroic interventions. Ah, this one hurts. Um, it's good, though. It's it's still playable, right? You usually don't want your heroes doing actions anyways, um, unless he's a psyker and he's one of the only ones that can't do uh, psychic actions. Um, not making the heroic interventions is a big deal. But next, uh, Chest Wound. Reduce the wound's characteristic of your character model by one. All right, yeah, minus one wound. It's good. It's fluffy, whatever. Number five, deep concussion. You cannot use any stratagems to affect this unit, nor can you use the command reroll stratagem to affect any dice rolls made for it. I like this one. Um, it just kind of makes it so... It really tones down the efficiency on your character. Um, it hurts, but it's still playable. It's not bad. Number six, loss of reputation. If this unit has any aura abilities in its data sheet, the range of those aura abilities is reduced by three inches. If this reduces the range of an aura ability to zero or less, then the unit loses that aura ability while it has this battle scar. And if this unit has no aura abilities on its data sheet, then it is unaffected by the aura abilities of any friendly units. This one is the one that's super punishing, especially if you have a a support character. You know, when they when they drop down their auras to three inches, like that is not very far. Um, or if they're unaffected by the auras of friendly units, 
Yeah, it's a tough one. Um, I think it's, it might have been one that we modified. I'll, I'll check when I pull the other table up. All right, next we have vehicle battle scars. Number one, edge and fault. Subtract two from this unit's move characteristic. In addition, subtract one from advanced and charge was made for this unit. I like it. It's it's fluffy. You know, the engines are damaged. So you're going to move less. It's good. It's really tough when you're in your bottom bracket and you're minus two to move and you have a three inch move characteristic and so now you're moving one inch. You know, it's really devastating there. Uh, number two, target is cracked. You must reroll hit rolls of six when there's only attacks made by a vehicle model in this unit. I, like I said, I like the rerolling sixes. I think it's not overly punishing. Um, it's not like a minus one to hit. So, you know, if you're hitting on twos or threes, rerolling your sixes, you're still getting a decent amount of hits. Uh, number three, weakened armor. Each time this unit is hit by a weapon with a strength characteristic of eight or more, the unit suffers one mortal wound in addition to any normal damage. Yeah, I actually really like this one. I think it's it's very flavorful. You know, he's suffering a mortal wound from, you know, Melta's or Last Cannons just because the armor is weakened. I like it. Number four, weak weapon damaged. Select one weapon equipped by a vehicle model in this unit. Subtract one from hit and wound rolls when resolving attacks with that weapon. It's not great. Um, you're obviously always going to pick the little pintle mounted whatever weapons. You know, most vehicles, they have a ton of weapons to shoot. And so the amount of times this really has any impact on the game, um, I really look at, at swapping this one out, or or making them roll for you know which weapon is going to be the one that's affected by this. Uh, number five, angered machine spirit. You cannot use any stratagems to affect this unit, nor can you use the command reroll strategy to affect any dice rolls made for it. I like this one. Uh, it's good. It it makes you know kind of narrative sense. You, the machine spirit's not responding to your commands. Number six, Vox comms destroyed. This unit is unaffected by the aura abilities of any friendly units. It doesn't really matter so much now with the core keywords coming in. Uh, it, it will matter for some, but this is another one that I would consider just getting rid of just because of the, the little impact that it has on the game. All right, monster units. Number one, crippling injury. You know, same as the vehicle, minus two to move, minus one advance and charge. Number two, crippled limb. You must reroll hit rolls of six. Yep. Again, same. Number three, critical wound. Each time this unit is hit by a weapon with a strength characteristic of eight or more, this unit suffers a mortal wound, you know, same as a vehicle. Number four, tissue damage. Subtract one from the attacks characteristics of one monster mod in this unit. Yeah, I like it. You know, minus one, minus one attack is punishing. Number five, fractured skull. You cannot use any stratagems to affect this unit, nor can you use the command reroll stratagem to affect any dice rolls made for it. Yeah, this is one of those blanket ones that come across. Uh, number six, enraged and reasoning. If this unit has any aura ability, so this is the same as loss of reputation from the character. Um, you know, lose three inches to their auras. You know, outright lose their aura if they go to zero inches, and not affected by the auras of other characters. All right, now any other unit. Number one, walking wounded. Subtract one from this unit's move characteristic. In addition, subtract one from advance and charge rolls made for this unit. Yeah, it's good. Number two, fatigue. This unit cannot control objective markers. When determining which player controls an objective marker, ignore all models in this unit. This is too punishing. Uh, you get this on some of your infantry, some of your troops' choices, and they just, not only are they losing objective secure, they just, they cannot control objective markers. You just ignore them. It's it's worse than negating objective secure. It's like they're not even there. Uh, this is definitely one that we, we got rid of. Because, you know, every time you got this, you just, you got rid of it, right? Either 
either it, it fell on a unit that didn't matter, right? It was a unit that was never going to be near an objective or you wouldn't want it to be an objective. Or it was on units that you needed them to be on objectives. And it just, it wasn't having the impact on the games that we were looking for. Number three, battle wary. This unit cannot perform any actions or psychic actions and it cannot gain more than one experience point at the end of a battle for any reason. This one sucks specifically for gaining only one experience point at the end of a battle. It's too punishing there. Um, you need to play 50 games to get these guys to max level. Uh, it's just, it's too much. Um, yeah. Shell shock number four. Subtract one from this unit's leadership characteristic. In addition, subtract one from combat attrition test taken for this unit. Yeah, shell shock, minus one leadership, minus one to combat attrition. It's, it can be brutal depending on the type of unit, especially big units. Um, always losing, always, always losing um, units on ones and twos for combat attrition, and if you're at half strength, losing it on one twos and threes, yeah, it can be not fun. Number five, disgrace. You cannot use any stratagems to affect this unit, nor can you use the command reroll stratagem to affect any dice rolls made for it. Yep, this is the generic one we see across uh, all of them. And then number six, mark of shame. This unit is unaffected by the aura abilities of any friendly units. Um, so some of those are pretty punishing to more so to other units. Uh, you know, like Mark of Shame is, is definitely a bigger deal for the, any other unit category because typically vehicles aren't going to, you're not going to benefit because they're not going to be core characters are the ones that give out the auras. So them themselves not being able to, uh, actually there's characters don't even have the not getting auras. Yeah. It just reduces their aura ability. Yep. Yeah. So Mark Shane was another one that we took a hard look at. And um, let me actually pull up the table that we used. All right. So in our table, character battle scars, we switched out uh, deep scars, the inability to do actions for crippling blow, reduce the attack characteristic of character models in this unit by one to a minimum of one. Uh, I like that one. And then we removed um, the deep concussions where you couldn't use stratagems and we put damaged equipment and it reduced the range of rapid fire assault and heavy weapons by six inches and pistol grenade weapons by three inches. So a little less punishing and more likely. And so the reason we did this was to incentivize people to keep their battle scars. And so we'd have more of a diverse uh, fighting force instead of just you know hey this is too punishing i'm just gonna get rid of it and use my requisition points to, to get rid of it it's kind of that was kind of boring all right for the vehicles we changed uh, weapon damaged because we you know like i said it didn't really do much to uh, damaged range finder and again it was reducing the range by six inches for all their weapons um yeah i like to let's see for the monsters we changed out fractured skull where you can't use any stratagems and we put enduring wound again reducing the wounds characteristic by one i think that was appropriate um next we had for the other unit balance cards here's where we made the most changes so we removed fatigued where they can't control objectives and instead we changed it to loss of discipline you must reroll hit rolls of six made for this unit I, like I said, I really like the rerolling six mechanic. I think it's punishing, but not too punishing. Where you're st you're still gonna you could still keep it. That's not gonna be bad. Where it's gonna be bad is in when you're shooting Overwatch, then then it's terrible. So if you're Tau, you probably don't want to keep this. Um, 
Next we had got rid of Battle Wary, where they can't do any actions, and replaced it with damaged equipment again, reducing the range of uh, weapons by 6 inches. Um, pistol and grenade weapons only by 3. And then number 5, we got rid of Disgraced, where you couldn't use the stratagems, and instead we switched it for Intimidated. Um, you must reroll successful charge rolls made for this unit. This was pretty punishing. Um, Especially on a fighting unit, you know, this is one I would look at changing again, just just because if it's on a fighting unit that you need to get in close combat, you're going to get rid of it because it's too punishing. And if it's on any other unit, you probably don't want them to be in close combat and it's probably not going to matter. Um, there will be those edge cases where like you need to get a troops unit in, in range of an objective and you're going to charge them in. They're not really a threat to what they're charging, but they're going to survive and keep that objective. And then they're going to be too intimidated to fail the charge, and, and that'll make for a good story. But, you know, th those are just some suggestions. Um, it's what we chose to do. And another thing to note on Battle Scars is that when a unit has a Battle Scar, you subtract one from its total Crusade points uh, to account for its, its decrease in efficiency. So it's another way where sometimes you'll have really experienced armies, uh, and I've played some games where they got tons of Battle Honors, but they also got tons of Battle Scars. And you end up kind of balancing out your crusade points and not getting very many, uh, very much of that difference in crusade points. Um, the next thing, selecting crusade army, yeah, crusade blessings. That's the thing. That's the thing we already mentioned. So, the actual giving of uh, half of the difference rounded up of command points is is called a crusade blessing. Uh, it's supposed to represent you know higher commands giving you know more resources to a unit that they know is in a, is in a tough fight. That's it for what I want to talk about on the Crusade rules. Uh, overall, I'm a big fan of the Crusade. I think it's a, it's a very balanced way to play narrative where it's still competitive, um, but you're not min-maxing you know, your army and, and, and trying to be as cutthroat as you would in you know match play kind of tournament setting. Um, next, I want to talk a little bit about <clears throat> some of the things that we did in my Crusade campaign. Uh, to incentivize, you know, getting more games in, right? So the, the whole purpose of why we decided to start a, a narrative campaign was to get more games through our gaming group. And so I set out a list of rules. Uh, basically, it, it incentivized um, not just winning games, but just playing games. Um, and one of the things that helped out was, and you know, you don't have to do a prize or anything like that, but what I did as the as the game organizer, as a campaign organizer, was, you know, I have a 3D printer, and I, I put it out there. I was like, hey, look, the person that wins this campaign is going to win, you know, six 40 millimeter objective markers of their choice. You know, I'll print them out, um, I'll paint them up, and I'll and I'll send them to you as a as a reward for winning. And the way that we incentivized playing was I used a system of campaign points and essentially was campaign points were the sum of all of your crusade points, your uh, negative crusade points. So this actually incentivized keeping your battle scar. So you would get one campaign point for each crusade point you got, but you would also add up the number of battle scars and we just call that like negative crusade points. And then you would multiply by two. So battle scars were worth two campaign points. 
and then you would add that to your total. Um, any requisition, unspent requisition, um, and any requisition you spent to upgrade your supply limit from 50 up to 100. Those also counted. And I think we even went as far as a one, 150 so that you could have a 3000 point force and just to have extra models in your order of battle if you wanted to. And, and really what you're seeing is um, in a lot of the crusade missions, when you win, you'll get some, you know, extra, extra requisition points or extra mark for greatness or an extra battle honor, etc. And those are all increasing your, uh, your crusade points. So there is, a, there is an incentive to win. But if you just play more games, right? If, if a person played five games, won all five games and got all the rewards, a person who played 15 games is still going to have a higher campaign total than them. And so really the only way to, to reliably be a winner was to get more games. Um, and that's just the way we incentivize it. You know, uh, do what works for your gaming group. I think Crusade is super super low threat for the campaign organizer it's, it's it was very easy um, it was really as much work as i wanted to put into it you know you'll see on the documents that i provided you know we put a tracker we put a little bit of backstory we put some rules documents on there and then some people even got inspired and, and wrote little story little short stories during you know or before and after games um and it was a good time uh, the final thing on Crusade that we didn't talk about, we should go over that, is agendas. And so agendas, and this is what I was talking about in the beginning when I was talking about some of the uh, uh, weird, uh, fun scenarios you get into, is agendas are earned like secondary objectives. But in Crusade, uh, instead of getting victory points, they're going to give you experience points. And they have you know different classes, just like the match play secondary objectives. And for a combat patrol game, you pick one agenda for, you know, the next, the next level, you know, between, you know, 501 to 1,000 points. Uh, you pick two agendas, and then I think you pick three for the biggest size game. Um, but here, we'll go through all the agendas. First ones are Purge the Enemy is the category. And it is, first one is Assassins. Keep an Assassin Tally for each unit from your army. Add one to the unit's Assassin Tally each time it destroys an enemy character unit. Each unit gains two experience points for every mark on their Assassin's Tally. So if a unit, if an army's got a bunch of characters, you know, you're playing like a, I know I had a, a Tempest of Scions army that gave up a ton of experience to Assassins because I had two Tempest of Prime, a Primaris Psyker, a priest a commissar it's already five that's 10 possible experience on the table uh, the next one is priority target keep a priority target tally for each unit in your army add one of the units priority target tally each time it destroys an enemy vehicle or monster unit each time this each unit gains two experience points for every rank and its priority target tally same thing if your enemy's got a bunch of vehicles or monsters this is a good one to take uh next titan hunter uh, four experience point, basically four experience points for killing a titanic unit. So if you're playing against knights, every knight you kill, you're gonna get four experience points. It's good. Uh, next, Kingslayer. You get three experience points if you kill the enemy's warlord. Yeah, it's not the best. 
Um, you'd almost get more for assassins. So I yeah I would probably just pick assassins over this. Um, it just depends situational. Really, what you're trying to do is trying to maximize the amount of experience your characters are gonna get or your models are gonna get so that they can level up quickly. And uh, I think in Purge the Enemy, the ones that I like the most are Assassins and Priority Target, you know, just depending on the on the composition of the enemy force. Next, we have No Mercy, No Respite. It's another category. It's First Strike. Keep a First Strike tally for each unit in your army. Add one to this unit's First Strike tally each time it destroys an enemy unit in the first battle round. Each unit from your army gains a number of experience points equals to their First Strike tally. This is just bad. It's bad, especially the way the games are played now, where you're... You're kind of staying back, you know, first turn. If you're playing it right and there's a lot of terrain on the board, uh, you should be pretty well hidden first turn. So getting one experience for killing one unit, in the, and it's only in the first battle round, it's not great. Uh, next, Call the Hordes. Keep a Call the Hordes tally for each unit from your army. Add one of the units Call the Hordes tally each time it destroys six or more models in the same phase. Each unit gains a number of experience points equal to their call to horse. So this could be good if it was killed, destroyed six or more models. And then for every six models you destroyed, you put a mark on the tally. But it, it's specifically for the phase. It's just, it's just not good. Um, even if you've got, you know, what, what's got enough attacks to consistently kill six things each phase. And then you get one experience points for it. And then in your enemy's got to have tons of little hordes. It, it's just not. It's not good. Uh, number two, or the next one is Reaper. This unit, the unit in your army that has the highest combat tally of enemy units destroyed during the battle earns two experience points. If two or more units are tied, you choose which unit it chooses the unit. Yeah, so Reaper is one that I've taken a lot. Just when you don't have a good option, sometimes you just take Reaper and you know that as long as something kills something in your opponent's army, right? That At least that unit will get two experience points extra. So it's not bad, it's just, it's one of those that you take just because you got no better options. Next, Battlefield Supremacy, Sentinel. At the start of your first, so Battlefield Supremacy is the new category. Uh, Sentinel, at the start of your first command phase, select one objective marker that is on the battlefield and one unit from your army. That unit gains four experience points after the battle, if at the end of the battle it is in range of that objective marker and you control that objective marker. So... This can be good. It, it really just depends on the matchup and the mission you're playing. I've picked this for when I was playing Grey Knights, and I would put my um, last cannon missile launcher uh, dreadnought in my backfield with astral aim. You know, you know that guy's not going anywhere. He's a tough unit. He's probably behind some obscuring terrain, just sitting on an objective and just shooting all game relatively safe i put it on him and and sometimes you get the extra experience points it's good because you know four experience points and then you give them a mark for greatness you're leveling up after the first mission after your first game with them you're leveling them up so you know experience is at a premium so anywhere you can get it it's, it's good all right next one is breakthrough at the end of the battle select up to three units from your army excluding aircraft that are wholly within six inches of your opponent's battlefield edge each of these units earns two experience points. It's not it's not bad. We're, it's not great. So where breakthrough is going to be good is if you've tabled your opponent and your units literally have nothing else they need to be doing to win the game and you can just have them run to the end of your opponent's battlefield edge. So it's, it's not the best. 
Um, maybe if it was three experience points, I'd risk it. Uh, the two experience points, there's just other ways to get it. Yeah. Next one, Survivor. At the start of your first command phase, select one unit from your army. That unit gains two experience points after the battle if it is not destroyed. At the end of the battle, an additional two experience points if it is not below half strength. Units that only have one, only a single model instead of... Uh, units that have only a single model instead gain these bonus experience points if at the end of the battle the number of wounds that model has remaining is at least half their wounds characteristic. This is one I've taken a couple of times. you got a tough unit that's going to be sitting in your backfield. You know, four experience points is, is really good. And as long as you can keep them relatively safe, um, it's, a, it's a good one. Next, Shadow Operations. This is, a, this is the category. Uh, secure the area. Keep a secure the area tally for each unit from your army. Add one to the unit. Secure the area tally for each time it successfully completes the following action. Secure the area. Action. One infantry unit from your army, excluding characters, can start to perform this action at the end of your movement phase if it is within six inches of the center of the battlefield. The action is completed at the end of your turn. Each unit gains a number of experience points equal to their secure the area tally. Not great. Uh, a lot of the you'll see that a lot of the action-based ones, they're just not worth it. So you're you're getting a unit unless you have a ton of throwaway units. You know you're playing like Gene Steeler Colts or maybe Guard. Um, you know you're you're just giving up that unit and having them do an action to gain one experience point. Yeah, it could be it could be worth it. The the fact that it's you know you can't have like three or four of your units do this per turn. It's just one. And you can't have a character do it. Yeah, I don't know. All right, next one. Search for Archaeotech. Keep a search for Archaeotech tally for each unit from your army. Add one of the units. Search for Archaeotech tally. Each time it successfully completes the following action. Search for Archaeotech action. One or more infantry units from your army that are wholly within your opponent's deployment zone can start to perform this action at the end of your movement phase. If the action is completed at the end of your turn, each unit gains three experience points if their search for Archaeotech tally is at least two. It's tough. Uh, getting two actions done in your opponent's deployment zone, so you're probably having to deep strike them in there, or you've got something with a ton of movement, but then you're going to your opponent's deployment zone, probably for a reason. Uh, the three experience points is tempting, just the fact that it has to be done twice. Um, if it was just once, I think it would be worth risking, especially because it, you know, towards the, towards the end game, if you're already kind of ahead, um, you could throw a unit out there. Yeah, I really wish this was just one tally instead of two. Um, you could even do just one tally and, and drop it down to two experience points instead of three, and I think it would be more appealing. But, yeah. Next, deploy Vox Relays. At the start of the first battle round, but before the first turn begins, select one infantry unit from your army. That unit can, perf can perform the following action. Deploy Vox Relays. One unit from your army can start to perform this action at the end of your movement phase if it is within range of an objective marker that has not already been Vox Relay deployed on it. This action is completed at the end of your turn. If this action is successfully completed, that objective marker is said to have a Vox Relay deployed on it. The Vox Relay is, de is lost if your opponent controls the objective marker at the start of any phase. This unit gains two experience points for each objective marker on the battlefield that has one of your Vox Relays deployed on it at the end of the battle. So this one can be really good. Um, there's a couple of key limitations, right? You have to pick which unit has the Vox Relays at the beginning of the game. So that can be tough. If they get killed, then you've already lost your ability to deploy the Vox Relays. Um, 
But like I said, a lot of the games here that I've played, the max you're going to get is four objectives. Um, so you're really only getting relays on maybe two of them reliably. Um, if you if the opponent's putting any type of a match because you lose the relay when they control an objective. Um, but four, four experience points is nothing to sneeze at. Um, it can be good, and it just depends. Uh, next, recover mission archives. Keep a recover mission archive tally for each unit from your army. Add one to the unit's recover mission archives tally each time it successfully completes the following action. Action, recover mission archives. One infantry unit, cavalry, or biker unit from your army can start to perform this action at the end of your movement phase. If it is not within range of the objective marker, if it is within range of an objective marker that has not already successfully been searched, this action is completed at the end of your next command phase, provided the unit performing it is still within range of the same objective marker. Roll 1d6 at the agenda achieved step of the game, so after the, the game is over. If the score is equal to or less than the combined total of your unit's recover mission archives tally, or if the combined tally equals the number of objective markers that were set up at the start of the battle, then one unit of your choosing successfully performed this action gains six experience points. It's... Alright, so six experience points is very tempting. There's just a lot of terms and conditions, and you can do a lot of the work for this and maybe throw the game because you're trying to achieve this mission archives objective and still not get anything, right? You could just not roll correctly. Um, yeah, no, not, not a fan. Never taken it, probably never will. Alright, finally the last category is Warpcraft, and here we have probably one of the best ones is a Witch Hunter. Keep a Witch Hunter tally for each unit from your army, for each unit from your army, add one to the unit's Witch Hunter tally each time it destroys an enemy Psyker unit, add three instead of destroyed unit is a Psyker character. Each unit from your, each unit gains a number of experience points equal to their Witch Hunter tally. So, if you're playing Thousand Suns, or Grey Knights, or even some tyranid lists, this is a really good agenda to take. You can get mad amounts of experience off of Witch Hunter. And if you pair Witch Hunter with uh, Assassins, you know, and they do stack, uh, you're talking, you're possibly getting five experience points for each character you kill, each psychic character you kill. That's really good. So I really like Witch Hunter. It's a really good agenda. And it just depends on the matchup, right? If your opponent doesn't have any psychers, then you know, it is what it is. But that game you play against your buddy who's playing Thousand Suns or Grey Knights, you're going to want to take Witch Hunter. All right, next one is Lord of the Warp. Keep a Lord of the Warp tally for each unit from your army. Add one to a unit's Lord of the Warp tally each time it successfully manifests a psychic power, denies an enemy psychic power, or completes a psychic action. Reset a unit's Lord of the Warp tally to zero if... If and when they suffer perils of the warp, the unit can, from this unit from your army that has the highest lower the warp tally gains two experience points. In which case, yeah, if two or more units are tied, then you get to choose. So lower the warp very similar to uh, Reaper, right? If you have a Psyker, they're gonna cast psychic powers. You know, you're just gonna you're gonna pick the one that had the most, and and give them two experience at the end of the end of the game. I've taken this one when I was playing Grey Knights just. I didn't have a better option, and you know, it's two experience points for typically, you know, the guy that has the most casts. 
Alright, finally, last one is Scribe Battle Plans. Keep a Scribe Battle Plans tally for each Psyker unit from your army. Add one of the units Scribe Battle Plans tally. Each time it successfully completes the following Psychic Action, Scribe Battle Plans. Uh, warp Charge 4. One Psyker character from your army can attempt to perform this Psychic Action in your Psychic Phase if it is within 18 inches of an enemy character unit. Each unit gains 5 experience points if their Scribe Battle Plans tally is at least 2. I have not taken this one ever. It seems appealing. It seems like there there could be a way to get it. It's just having to use, you know, you know, you, you typically take a psyker to ha have a purpose. And having to do this twice, you know, if it was once, because the terms and conditions are tough too. You gotta you gotta be close within 18 inches of any character unit. I guess it's not that's not too far. I've never been in a situation where I thought this was a good one to take, but I could see it. I could see it being okay. You know, five experience points is a lot. So if you want to risk it, you know, no harm, no foul. It's just, it typically it feels bad when you and you take one of these riskier agendas and and don't get it, and then you get zero experience points when you, you know you could have taken Lord of the Warp or Reaper and gotten that safe two experience. But I, I mean, no guts, no glory, right? So. That is it for agendas, and that is pretty much it for what I want to talk about on Crusade. Like I said, Crusade's a super fun uh, way to play. It it allows you to build a narrative around your games and, and keep it going, and it makes it super easy as the campaign manager to, you know, keep people interested in the game. And you know, a lot of, a lot of times what happens is if you're I've experienced this, you're running a campaign, you're the one that's the most invested in it, you're the one putting the most work into it, and then, you know, people drop off, people lose interest, and it just, it kind of sucks to have put so much work and effort into something and then have it not come to fruition. Whereas with this Crusade game, it allows you to kind of wax and wane, right? Like, I've had players that been really into it, gotten you know, consistent games every week, and then they kind of drop off for a couple of weeks, you know, because, you know, life happens, they get busy with work, they go on a trip, or whatever the case might be. And then, you know, they come back into it and, you know, hey, I still got my crusade roster. I still got my, you know, my force that's kind of growing and they just pick up where they left off. It's not a campaign where, you know, you need to consistently meet every week to advance that same storyline. You're kind of building out these little mini storylines as you go you know i had like a, a series of three or four games with the same same guy and and that was kind of like our little story arc that we built through there and and the story really is just your force as it grows so it's really fun uh way to play i highly recommend it uh i'll have all the documents that i linked up that we kind of used for ours our crusade campaign in the uh in the link in the description uh, I'd also like to mention that we have a Amazon affiliates link in the description. So if you want to buy anything off of Amazon, you know, click that link. And as long as you keep, I think you have to keep it in the same window and it's within 24 hours, um, we get a portion of that. That's going to help support the channel. It's going to show us that there's some interest and in, that we want to keep, keep making these. And if there's any videos or anything that you guys are interested in seeing, please let us know. Join the Discord. The Discord's in the link below. And, you know, just let me know, let me know what you guys want to hear. Um, we're, this is all still very new and we're going to keep going with it as long as there's interest. So uh, thanks for joining us uh, for this episode of the Army Nerd and we hope to see you next time. Thanks, this is Army Nerd. 
we are rtv time now.